I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Tuesday, January 4th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech all in less than seven minutes. So, Jay, have you been following this trial of Elizabeth Holmes? Through you, I have. You keep telling me to read that book, see the movie, find out everything I can know about bad blood. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, And a quick refresher for those who don't know. So Elizabeth Holmes, she was the CEO of a company called Theranos. And the idea behind Theranos was that they were going to create this box that you put your finger in. It takes one quick prick of blood and it will give you like a full diagnostic picture of your health. The unfortunate part of it all was that the box, it just didn't work. It was a scam and a lie. But she was on the front page of Forbes and the New York Times and was like a really big deal for a bit. And now she is on trial for fraud, having lied to her or, you know, allegedly lied to her investors. Do you think she's guilty, Jay? I mean, from everything I've read about it, it certainly appears that she was good at taking people's money and then not delivering on anything and and potentially making up false financials in the process. But things at trial happen strangely. And so I haven't been following that as closely, but I just ordered the book. I'm going to get it tomorrow. Well, I don't want to interfere in the justice process, so I'm not going to express my opinion on this case. But yeah, we will see. It'll be very interesting. And yeah, look, if you haven't read Bad Blood or watched the HBO documentary, I can't recommend it enough. And I think we should end the conversation there because I did hear that the jury is huge fans of the Peak Daily. That's why I didn't want to say anything. I I, I want Lady Liberty to remain blind. Uh, <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the U.S. legal system today, what do we have for Peak Health? For our first story, Omicron again. For our second story, bye-bye BlackBerry. And for our third story, where there's a will, there's a Norway. For our first story, ugh, Ontario is heading back into lockdown again to fight the highly transmissible Omicron variant. Brett, January 2022 already feels a lot like March 2020. What did the premier announce yesterday? I have to say, Jay, just before we get into it, this has been so frustrating to watch that I'm actually taking a Twitter hiatus, believe it or not for the next week, well, until everything kind of settles down. So the Premier, the Minister of Health, and the Chief Medical Officer of Ontario, they all announced that the province will be heading into a modified Step 2 lockdown. Now, this is language from the gradual COVID restrictions of a year past, but what it really means is that there's going to be a closure of indoor dining, movie theaters, gyms, and other indoor recreational activities. Indoor gathering limits will be five people or less, and there'll be 50% capacity limits on non-essential retail. And there's one other thing that we'll get to later on. Yeah, we'll get to it right right now. So noticeably absent from the announcement was Education Minister Leche, unbelievably. But aside from that, while the Premier did concede that the Omicron variant is less severe, he said that the province's public health officials estimate that 1% of all people who contract COVID will end up in the hospital. According to the province's own data, this is enough to overwhelm the system with 100 or 200,000 cases a day expected in their modeling. One reason is because of the staff shortages in hospitals that were shutting down. With tens of thousands of cases every day, healthcare workers are also contracting the variant, which is forcing them to quarantine now for five days, leaving hospitals short-staffed as cases surge. And the premier did at the same time announce that schools will be moving to online learning for two weeks to give the province time to get cases under control. This is a real U-turn from 48 hours ago when they said the schools would be opening up on the 4th. Now, this announcement was met by opposition from children's hospitals across the province, including sick kids and Ottawa's CHEO. And while some public health officials did praise the announcement, other frontline doctors and business advocates were skeptical that the restrictions would be effective at all in curbing cases. So, Jay, what is our big takeaway from Ontario's announcement? Aside from the province being in shaky hands, I would say 
we thought we were getting out of this pandemic and now the Omicron variant has plunged us back in. Sorry to editorialize there, Brett. We are stressed that these measures were only temporary, two weeks according to his data, but Ontarians, especially parents fatigued by nearly two years of restrictions, me being one of them, aren't sure they can trust this government's word. And it was also unclear why any of these announcements couldn't have been made two weeks ago when the premier was at his cottage. Again, editorializing. I love it, Jane. For our second story, on today, many of BlackBerry's phones will stop working as the company decommissions a number of devices. Jay, this is a tragedy for keyboard diehards. Why is BlackBerry ruining the lives of boomer businessmen like yourself around the world? Oh, I really am feeling attacked and maybe even a little bit triggered by that, Brett. Well, BlackBerry is decommissioning their BlackBerry 7.1 OS and BlackBerry Playbook 2.1 OS. I, I honestly know zero people that are using those operating systems, but let's just say that older BlackBerry devices will no longer be able to get reliable data, phone, and text message capabilities. The company's making this decision as they transition away from hardware into exclusively software business. Well, if it makes you feel better, Jay, I also had a BlackBerry at one point. This is a fall from grace for the Canadian smartphone pioneer. The BlackBerry made waves in the late 90s and 2000s for their iconic smartphones with physical keyboards, but they were late to touchscreens and mobile apps, which are two pretty big parts of the <laughs> smartphone industry today. And so BlackBerry was soon outcompeted by Apple and Google's Android, who swept the world by storm, leaving them in the dust. And in 2015, the company finally conceded to Google, and they moved all their newer devices onto a custom Android operating system. So, Jay... Why should our younger peak pals who aren't familiar with the BlackBerry Bold 9700 care about the discontinuation of BlackBerry's OS? Well, I just like the idea that there was some meeting at some point, like, I really don't think touchscreens and mobile yeah. apps will be the way of the future. Well, anyway, BlackBerry was, and I guess still is, an iconic Canadian technology. At one point, they were the most popular phone in the world, and millions of business people depended on their devices. So while this might have felt like a long time coming to those that are observers, it's still sad to see the end of this unique part of Canadian history. And those old phones were kind of awesome and they were beloved by business people, yes, but more by the IT departments of big companies. Yeah, it, I like BBM. That was like a uh, like key to my social life. <laughs> For our last story, over two thirds of Norwegian car sales in 2021 were electric. Brett, Norway seems to be really ahead of the curve on electric vehicles. How'd they do this? Yes, Norway's an interesting place. They're a major European oil producer, and they've also been at the same time incentivizing the sale of electric cars by exempting electric vehicles from taxes that apply to gas vehicles. So this makes electric vehicles more affordable in many cases than gasoline ones, and it's helping drive the country towards its goal of, believe it or not, ending gasoline-powered car sales by 2025. That's only three years away. And Tesla was the biggest selling electric vehicle in Norway with 11.6% of the total market, followed by Volkswagen. I just said Volkswagen like I speak German, at 9.6% of the sales. Electric vehicle players from China, like Neo, have also been keen to gain a foothold in the affluent Norwegian market with a number of brands scaling operations in Oslo as we speak. So, Brent, why should people care about Norway's electric vehicle market? Well, Norway is a pretty interesting glimpse into the future of car manufacturing and ownership. With Canada's gold and fossil fuel burning vehicles by 2035, it's clear that we have a ways to go before we catch up to the Norwegians, but they might give us a playbook on how to actually get there. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second one, I'd follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for producing this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, I'm going to go back to my life trying to figure out what we're going to do for the next three weeks at home. Maybe you could learn German. 
<laughs> Sounds like I'm halfway there. Thanks, Brett.